The following program contains scenes of violence which may be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. You're traveling through a neighborhood, a neighborhood that appears like any other with its rows of boxy, colorful houses and freshly cut lawns, a neighborhood where nothing much happens. And then you turn down one street where anything may happen, from the macabre to the otherworldly. There's a sign appearing in your headlights, the sign that reads, Dark Side Drive. Tonight's episode, Strange Cargo, written by Don Roth. Starring Greg Wilson, Sidney Lloyd, Marie Antoinette, Francisco Gibbons, Mike Anthony, Sharon Weddingham, Sarah Rowe, Sean Willett, and Jasmine Retzer. Cargo Barge Demeter, estimate rendezvous on Alabastia in nine hours. Cargo Ship Demeter, Alabastia Control, transponder contact. The interstellar war has devastated their planet. These supplies are imperative. Let's hope we're not too late. Copy that, out. What happened to Captain Howard? He's usually commanding these freighter missions. He didn't get the news? Howard's on life support. He was flying a covert mission and ran into some blue-skinned ceruleans. He's lucky to be breathing. Or maybe he's not. They'll probably never fly again. So how many missions is this for you, Lieutenant Kennard? Third one's supposed to be a charm, right? With me at the controls, it will be. Oh, I love a man bubbling over with overconfidence. Makes me swoon like a seventh grader. <laughs> what are you, 20? I was flying combat missions over the Nebulong rings when you were sucking fudgesicles and wiping them in your hair in some podunk state back on that dust ball. So, if you're such an important commander, what are you doing flying a bunch of cargo supplies? Oh, and by the way, I hate fudgesicles, and I'm from Mayfield Falls. Hardly podunk, or whatever condescending colloquialism you attempted to use to elicit an emotional response for me to assert your male dominance, Captain Braun. Oh, this is going to be a long flight. Captain Braun here. Captain, this is Sergeant Harker in the bulkhead, submitting my status report. Go ahead. Well, Captain, it's better if I show you. Be right down. I take it you can handle the helm, LT? Oh, I think I'll manage. Yeah. Think I recognize you from the Mitigan campaigns, Captain. I was a buck private back then and just barely drinking age. We were both younger back then. Excuse me for saying so, sir, but you were a captain back then, too. I figured you'd be commander of the fleet by now. Well, the board of directors had other plans. Seems like they don't like mavericks in their fleet, only the malleable. What the hell else do you expect from a matriarchy, huh? Uh-huh. Yes, sir. So what's the report that you had to drag me down here for, Sergeant Harker? Well, sir, as you know, when we left Alpha Centauri Space Station with these supplies, we were rather rushed to get on our way. Don't I know it. I got the call last second. Supposed to be my day off, but this flight pays triple, so how could I say no? Yes, sir, but the money isn't the only strange thing about this particular resupply run. 
Corporal Morris can better fill you in. He was in charge of loading the supplies. As you know, Captain, this C-Class freighter has a maximum freight capacity in the storage area of 200,000 tons. We're over that limit by at least three and a half. Well, I won't mention it in my report if you don't. It's not that, sir. It's this particular crate. The one that says organic food source? That's the one, sir. And? Well, it wasn't on the original manifest. It just kind of appeared with all the other supplies. Manifests get changed in pre-flight all the time. Part of the problem is these bureaucrats in charge don't know they're flaming butts from a retro rocket. They should leave the flying to the professionals. <laughs> That's true, sir. But we're not sure of the origin of this crate, and it looks I, pretty... And I'm sure I saw it move. Move, Corporal Morris? Yes, sir. You saw it bounce around. That was a pretty rough flight out of the space station and through the cloud nebula. Thought the LT up there was going to lose her rehydrated peaches. That was some inspired flyby action there. No, no, sir, it was after that. It probably settled. No, sir, with all due respect, I've seen crates settle hundreds of times. It's, it's like something's inside, something alive. We would love your permission to crack it open, sir, just to check out its contents. We're due in Alabastia in a few hours. We can crack it open then, after we deliver the supplies, I... Captain, request your permission at the helm. Cargo ship captain's work is never done. What have you got, LT? Picking up this transmission, it's rather faint. What sort of transmission? I've ran it through thousands of interpretive code, and it appears to be some kind of distress signal. Well, that's unfortunate. We're fully loaded, and we have a schedule to keep. In Article 79 of the Regulations Manual, we are required to make any unscheduled stop for a space-going craft in need of assistance. I know what it says, and since I'm the captain, I have authorization to completely ignore it. This is Cargo it. Flight Demeter. We are en route to check out a distress signal received in accordance to Article 79. Acknowledged, Demeter. Proceed with caution. Civilian activity has been reported in this quadrant. We'll keep you updated. Demeter out. Correct me if I'm wrong, Lieutenant, but did you just undermine a captain's authority? On second thought, don't correct me. I outrank you. Neither of us are above regulations, sir. Keep telling yourself that and see where it gets you. Well, with luck, when I'm your age, I'll be a little bit further along than cargo freighter, Captain. Sir. Keep it up, LT, and I'll leave you on Alabastia. There's something on the scanner. Looks like an Alabastian scout ship. Nothing is ever as it appears. It's a good thing we're stopping to check it out. I don't think the Alabastians would appreciate us ignoring one of their own in need, especially when this flight is for diplomacy and prosperity. I can smell a trap like a fart in a spacesuit. It's coming up on our port side, just beyond that asteroid. And how can this be a trap? That scout ship is a quarter of our size. Its maximum capacity is three. And I'm not getting any life readings from it. A thermonuclear bomb won't register as a life reading because it's inanimate. I saw the same type of thing on Nemandia when we were running slave ships out of there. Cerulians are known for rigging derelict ships with explosives. That was Nemandia. This is now. Nothing changes. Those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. Who said that? Voltaire. Who's that? Somebody who made as much sense 500 years ago as he does now. You saying what the Ceruleans did and is, a, is, is, is an absurdity? No, I'm saying not to base the actions of a few on an entire populace. A Leopardio fang snake can't ever change its scales. And who said that bit of wisdom? Captain Maxwell Braun. Figures. Sending out the umbilical, attaching to ship. 
I'll check it out. Don't forget who's in charge. You're staying at the helm. I'm checking it out. Sergeant Harker, meet me at the auxiliary door in five. Captain, this is most unusual. If it were my choice, we'd be arriving in Alabasta airspace right now. But our by-the-book LT had other plans. You ready? As I'll ever be, sir. They probably won't need these pistols as no life forms were scanned. But if it's a bomb, I'll see you in hell. Hit the umbilical door. Can't get the door open, Sergeant? It's sealed pretty tight, sir. There, think I got it. Hold up. Let me check around the bulkhead. Lots of them are wired for explosives the minute you enter. Seen it more times than I care to mention. Me too. It looks clean. Beer's abandoned. It does have that. Drop your weapons! A cerulean warlord! I hate when I'm always right. I'm Captain Maxwell Braun. We're not soldiers, just checking out the distress beacon. Drop your weapons. The command will not be repeated. And here's where you slaughter us like your blue-skinned friends did to those on Babylonia 5. An extremist group with principles not of my own. Sir, I thought our scanners picked up no life readings aboard. Scanners cannot penetrate the cargo hold insulated with Majorican crystals. Scanners reflect back nothing. What do you want, Cerulean? A cargo lies aboard your ship. A cargo that must be destroyed. The contents of our ship are no concern of blue-skinned murderers. They're to help others. The cargo aboard your craft must not arrive on Alabastia. You said anything about Alabastia? I would not be here otherwise. You're at war with the Alabastians. Of course you don't want precious supplies that would aid their sick and hungry. You would rather they all died. It's the blue skin way. Other reasons exist as to why that cargo was not arrive on Alabastia. Other reasons are far greater consequence to us all. What are you talking about? Proceed inside your ship, Captain. I will follow. Right, and you shoot us in the back? If I wanted to kill, you would already be corpses. Can't ever trust a Cerulean. The same sentiment has been said of humans. Now, proceed. We can't do what it says, Captain. Play it cool, Harker. There's more than one way to kill a Blueskin. All right, we'll go. Take it easy. I have a bad feeling about all this. So how do you plan to destroy this cargo, Cerulean? Blow up the ship and us along with it? No, Captain Maxwell. As I said, I will not inflict violence on you. Captain Braun. It appears I'm too late. Corporal Morris! What's happened to him? It's like everything in his body was pulled out through his eye sockets. He's just a dried out husk. What the hell's going on? The crate from earlier. It's been ripped open from the inside! You know what the hell is going on, you blue-skinned freak! Now spill it! It came to our attention that Alabastian extremists placed a Vamorta aboard your ship. I knew there was something strange about that crate! I tried I've to- I've been to one side of the galaxy, to another, and I've never heard of anything called a Vamorta? 
What is that? Older than the stars, the Vamorta preys on the life force of the living. A few of the evil ones still exist. Sounds like a load of bull. How do we know it's not a bunch of you Cerulean terrorist types running around killing my crew and making a bunch of weird noises? Ceruleans would not conduct themselves in such manner. And now that the Vamorta has awakened and fed, it will be more difficult to stop, perhaps impossible. Impossible? The only way we can be certain to vanquish the Vamorta will be to destroy your vessel with it still aboard. And us along with it. I invite your crew to escape in my ship. I now have three in my crew, and you. That ship only holds three. Our chance at survival will rest with your ship's destructions. Our weapons alone will not stop it. If only three can fit on your ship, guess who's staying aboard to vaporize with the Vamorda? An asteroid has struck the umbilical and severed it. More asteroids hurling in. I'm gonna have to take her up. That's it then, sir. We're gonna have to hold off that thing with what we've got. We don't know what we've got. It could be a bunch of blue skins farting around in the dark. Look out for that tentacle! Ah! Oh, I can grab my hand! It's tearing into me! Ah! Let's see how it likes a dose of plasma! Ah! It's ripping in half! You anger the Vimorta! Parker! Too late! The Vimorta now feeds! The Vamorta has a voracious appetite. The Vamorta will soon feed again. Canard, send a transmission back to base. Let them know that we're under attack. Under attack by what? Just tell them to send a detachment of well-armed men. We're dealing with terrorist activity. It was just a few asteroids, nothing- Just said it! Transmission is not going through. It's dead. You destroyed your ship's transmitter when you fired at the creature, Captain. Your useless action has sealed your fate. And we don't have enough fuel to turn back. We'd never make it. This was a one-way shot where we could refuel on Alabastia. It seems that we both die, Captain Braun. Speak for yourself. I am not expected to return back to Cerulea. One Cerulean for one task. I admire your courage, Blueskin, but if the Vamorta is as, as dangerous as you say, it was a little short-sighted of them to send one warrior. No one can ever know that this took place. Why not? The Alabastians loaded the Vamorta onto the ship for you to deliver it to their planet. A move that would not doubt be interpreted as enemy action by Ceruleans. It would destroy the treaty and launch another war. That makes no sense. Alabastians would die. Why would they do something like that? Subcultures only know war. War gives many species meaning. War defines their values. War is well. Fear of an enemy is great controller. Peace has no profit. Sounds like a load of blue-skinned propaganda to try and trick me into trusting you. It does not matter, Captain. If you trust me or not, we will all die before this ship lands on Alabastia. Like hell! Give me that pulse rifle! Fight me not! The enemies out there in the dark! Not each other! I trust you about as much as I trust my third ex-wife! Drop it! You didn't need to leave the bridge, Lieutenant. 
I was handling things fine down here in the hold. We've lost communications. Our life support systems are compromised and two crew members are dead. I'd say your definition of handling things varies wildly from mine, Captain. You can stop pointing your sidearm at us then. I've got it under control. Get back up to the bridge and take it off autopilot. Regulation 22 states that if I feel the commander is unworthy of command, then I may resume control and take charge to complete the mission. We have two deadly organisms on this ship. I intend to vaporize at least two. Don't make yourself a third. Now holster that weapon and get back to the bridge. That's an order! This is all going into my report. And I'm going to recommend that you be reassigned. You're not fit to command a life pod, Braun. That's Captain Braun to ULT! <laughs> Let go of the rifle, you blue skin! <laughs> you made me shoot the lieutenant! <laughs> Alabastia coming into range. You're gonna be all right, Canard. We'll get you some medical help. We have the supplies. You've killed us. You've killed us all. Don't give up yet. Put in this hunk of junk and manual and taking her down. Alabastia. This is cargo ship Demeter. We're coming in steep. Have emergency crew standing by at the landing bay. Alabaster, do you read me? I told you we're flying blind and stupid. Kind of like you. You don't have permission to die until I've had the chance to reprimand you, LT. Kiss my ass. Attention. Approaching Alabastian airspace. Landing deck 572 has activated its instrument landing beacon. <sighs> Asking for more than triple pay when this whole thing is over. Master warning. Landing uh, gear inoperative. Belly landing it is. Hang in there, LT. Not leaving without this. I've got something for you, Vamorta. Ow! What is this all over me? Ugh. Time to offload. Take no steps further, Cerulean. I'm no Cerulean, I'm Captain Maxwell Braun! Drop your weapon, or I fire blue-skinned excrement. My hands? My arms? Langornian die? No, it's, it's not my skin, it's not my skin! Drop your weapon, now, extremist scum. I'm, I'm Captain Max- Threat neutralized. Appears to have hijacked cargo ship Demeter. Heading inside. 
just heard the episode Strange Cargo here on Darkside Drive. Captain Maxwell Braun was played by Greg Wilson, Lieutenant Kennard by Sidney Lloyd, the Cerulean Warlord by Marie Antoinette Francisco Gibbons, Sergeant Harker by Mike Anthony, Corporal Morris by Jaron Whittingham, the space traffic controller was Sarah Rowe, the computer voice was Jasmine Retzer, and the Alabastian sentry was Sean Willett. Our producer is Justin Guild. Strange Cargo was written by Don Roth, author of Snowblind, now available in the iTunes and Amazon bookstores and soon to be a major motion picture. Our theme music was performed by the Lotars. Like us on Facebook or visit our website at www.darksidedrive.com where you can browse the episode guide, listen to past episodes, preview upcoming shows, and check your local station listings. And coming up next week... You're not going to find this baby on any other listing. It's a prototype. The company that makes them is getting ready for a full-scale production. The home of the future. Welcome to the perfect house. Thank you, Darwin. A house that talks and its name is Darwin? It's short for Domestic Automated Robotics. Oh. Every time I close my eyes, I keep seeing that man's face. A man. The man that invaded our last home. You have nothing to worry about, Miss Levinson. Thanks, Darwin. You're the best friend a girl could have. I want to be your friend. You are, as long as you remember not to tell mom or dad. I am always paying attention to serve you. To serve you. (laughs) The perfect house, more like the Stepford house. That's it for Dark Side Drive this week. Until next week, good night. Dark Side Drive is a co-production of CJSW 90.9 FM and the Calgary Radio Playhouse. You're listening to a special behind-the-scenes after-show segment of Dark Side Drive. Some of our stories end up running a little short, so we're using the time to take you behind the scenes of a radio drama. This week, our featurette is the Actors' Roundtable. I'm joined this evening by a few actors of the Calgary Radio Playhouse troupe. At the table with me is actor, voiceover artist Chandler Kerr. Hi there. Actor, singer, dancer Thea Sterling. Hello. Actor Robert Carrick. Hey. And actor and writer Wendy Froberg. Good evening. Welcome. So I want to start off, uh, let's see, uh, the first episode will have aired by now. Everyone's had a chance to hear the first episode. So um, three of you are from Gnome is Where the Heart Is. Um, let's just start off by uh, by asking what, what brought you to what brought you to radio? What interest did did you have that brought you to radio drama? Because this was just basically a a casting call. Well, I think for me, it was something that I had never uh, tried before. I had done some uh, uh, voice work auditions, but had never actually uh, booked a role. And um, it's, uh, 
I like a lot of variety in, in acting. So I like to do stage acting and, and film acting and television acting. And so the opportunity to work in radio uh, was was interesting. And also, I think it uh, it calls on uh, some of the same skills, but also a, a different uh, a slice of skills to, to work without the visuals. I adore radio shows. I've listened to them since I was really young. Uh, things like The Shadow or Twilight Zone. I remember my sister and I would stay up late on Sunday nights and listen to The Shadow, even though we were supposed to be asleep. And I just love how people can make different characters with their voices. They can be different people, have different emotions, be from different cultures. And I've always loved... I've always wanted to be able to do that with my voice, have that flexibility, be those different people. And when this casting call came up, I was so excited because I thought, wow, I could actually maybe do this. This would be so much fun. So I went to it and yay, I'm here. <laughs> I didn't actually think it was ever going to be an option to do radio drama and then I seen that and I was like wow that's a that's a cool thing I'd like to try right I mean but it hadn't even entered my mind that you know you could go out and you could do radio drama that I had listened to I remember Sundays years ago they used to run the old radio dramas on another radio station and I used to listen to it with an old girlfriend and we used to just have such a ball listening to it and it wasn't like until I seen this casting call I thought well okay I'll give it a try that's something that i in my subconscious, I've always always wanted to do, I guess. So. Well, it's the the comeback of radio theater, which is really exciting. It kind of fell out of practice, and uh, I remember growing up, my parents would listen to the late night radio shows, and also uh, an avid computer gamer as a teenager. I watched the development of um, uh, the development of technology and how the artists would lend their voices to these characters and just make them more real and interesting. It looked like it was something that was a lot of fun and something that I wanted to be involved with. Uh, to that, did you, did you, what was your expectation? I mean, I, and it's, it's funny, we're, we're talking right now. We never, in the production, it's so fast for, for uh, listeners that the production is two days, uh, six hours, so three hours each day uh, in the evenings usually. Um, and the, the first two days are, uh, a read through a technical rehearsal with the sound effects if possible, if they're ready, uh, hopefully they are. And, um, second night is, uh, a technical rehearsal for timing and, and, and getting everything right for the, for the performance. And unlike modern radio, uh, we do, we do them much like they were done, uh, 60, 70, even 80 years ago, where it's done from beginning to end with one microphone, one group. What were were you expecting it to be a more modern type where there's individual miking and maybe the actors would never have seen each other or were you expecting uh <laughs> what were your what were your impressions? In my mind there's no comparison to recording things separately as opposed to everybody being in the same room because you can bring your prep and you bring your uh, you bring your preparation and you're connected with everybody else in the room and you play off each other and it's it's more real. I think it develops a higher quality product. Well, I was really happy that uh, you were actually going to do that where it's like from beginning to end in a live format because, you know, 
a lot of us come from, well, most of us come from theater, right? And that's, that's the same idea. It's you start at the beginning and you go to the end, you know, we've probably all done film and television as well, where it's all just spliced up. So I really had no idea which way you were going to go. But when I came in, I go, oh, great. I understand this. I've done this a lot, right? I can, I don't have to start again at the beginning to get through this process. So it was great. Yeah. To have a scene, you have your scene partners in the room with you. Um, I can imagine it's similar to an actor having to work um, in film on a green screen. Um, it takes, um, it takes some of the focus away from being in the present, in the moment when you have to think about things technically. And so to not have to imagine your scene partner, but to have him or her actually there um, makes a world of difference and I think it frees up your energy to you know focus on the nuances of the character and how to reflect that in your in your voice work it really really feels quite supported because everybody's in the room together so we're all in this team creating this story so it feels family to be cliche it feels like a unit thank you everyone uh, it was a pleasure having you and uh, we'll be We'll be back next time with another Actors Roundtable. Thank you, Justin. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having us. CJSW, Calgary.